a revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies. Have you ever wondered why some babies at 32, 34 weeks just naturally go head down and others don't? Or why some births progress quicker than others? A lot of it has to do with what's happening inside your body, where there might be constrictions or imbalances. So we are taking a dive into understanding chiropractic work and how it benefits baby and pregnancy and your body. Body. And what is the Webster technique and how might it encourage baby to go head down? We're also going to talk about how chiropractic work can encourage and help with planning of feedback, as well as informed decision-making and informed choices. So to have this really lively, interesting conversation, I have Dr. Elliot Berlin. You have probably heard who he is. He is well-known. So Dr. Berlin is an award-winning prenatal chiropractor, childbirth educator, labor support body worker, and co-founder of Berlin Wellness Group in Los Angeles. And you probably have heard of his podcast, The Informed Pregnancy Podcast, which I had the honor of being a guest on. He is delightful to talk to, down to earth, and full of so much knowledge. You're going to get so much great information from this podcast and just it's great, to, it's great chatting with him. Now, before we get to that conversation, I just want to circle back to all the things happening at PYC, at Prenatal Yoga Center. So we have finished off our teacher trainings for, I always think in school years, that's because I have school-age kids, so for this school year, and we're heading into our once-a-year postnatal teacher training. Now, if you are someone that is interested in teaching the perinatal community, check out our website. We do it twice a year online and twice a year in person. Now we have continued for our pregnant folks, we have continued to keep our classes online every day. So no matter where you are, you can take our classes with us. We offer them live. We offer them hybrid. We offer them on re-release. So you can take it on your own timing. And then six days a week, we have classes in studio. And what has been absolutely beautiful is we just graduated some brand new prenatal yoga teacher training. So our team is growing. It's just such an exciting time at the studio. And we also have added an on-demand childbirth education class to our on-demand library. So you can check all that out on our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. All right. I think that's enough of me. I just want to take one more second to say thank you for being a listener and thank you for being part of our community. And now we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Berlin. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. 
Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, Dr. Berlin. It's fun to see you again. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you. I This is a, what a joy, twice in a row. I know. So, okay, listeners are like, what are they talking about? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I had the honor of being on Elliot's podcast, Informed Pregnancy. Um, When was it? Like a few days ago, Sunday? Sunday? I think think it was. And today's Thursday. So, we're getting quite a bit of each other, which is really fun. So, before we dive into talking about chiropractic work and the benefits in pregnancy and breach and all these amazing things, I'd love to get to know a little bit more about you. And even though I know you've been doing this for a super long time, what was the original dive into or made you want to focus on pregnancy and chiropractic work? Well, my original dive was at age seven. Oh, Uh, but it wasn't originally pregnancy. It was chiropractic work, um, sort of. I I lived in New York City. I walked into a apartment building. It was like apartments on top and commercial on the bottom and they were doing cpr class and i was mortified i'm like oh my god what are they doing to that poor woman with no arms and no legs <laughs> and uh then it was explained to me that you could use your body to be somebody else's heart and lungs for a while and i was like holy moly i want to do that i want to help people with my body and so uh not long after maybe i was nine years old ten years old i started uh, an interest in all of the american red cross classes cpr and first aid and responding to emergencies and eventually by the time I was 17 I started emergency medical technician training and when I was 18 I was working in emergency rooms and hospitals and when I was 19 started pre-med and uh, that same year my father suddenly passed away uh, partially from a medical mix-up and so um, it just kind of put a a little chill through me I still pursued pre-med and also (laughs) uh, theater on the side and uh because those two go together and um i i kind of when it was done instead of going to medical school i just took a year off and explored forms of healthcare that don't involve drugs and surgery and i fell in love with the combination of chiropractic and massage um and i still love and respect medicine i just wanted to be on the other side of it the part that works with your body to hopefully avoid the need for those things and um I went to school separately for chiropractic and massage, smushed them together, and uh, made what I hope is the peanut butter and chocolate of holistic healthcare, and uh, then started practicing. My wife is a psychologist. When we finished grad school, we're like, oh, let's have a baby, and we tried, and nothing happened, and then we tried for three more years with all the advanced medical help, and still nothing happened, and... uh, they were baffled. They're like, you're probably never going to have biological kids together. You should think about adopting, which we weren't totally opposed to, but we were young and broke. And our relationship had been through the ringer. Our minds, bodies, and spirits had been through the ringer. And we just decided to take some time off to heal. And uh, as we started to really spend time together to work and not give all our money to fertility treatments, to improve our nutrition, um, make space for meditation, Chinese medicine, um, we started to feel a lot better. And then we moved to Los Angeles and started to establish our first practice and thought, okay, maybe now is when we start to explore like what our options are. And then we found out we were pregnant and uh, mostly my wife. And then we, uh, we spent, you know, we had a healthy baby and every other year another baby came out. It was like, we couldn't turn it off. That's amazing. So what was it because your wife was pregnant that your focus of chiropractic turned in that direction? Because you have a podcast about pregnancy. I remember, I think you mentioned you were a doula. Like mm-hmm. these are some unusual turns I, that I'm curious how that part came up. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like life is a, is one of those video games that my kids play and and all of a sudden an arrow pops up and points into a certain direction. That's definitely like when you asked me when I was seven, do you think you'll be a doula? I would have said, because I'm tight. God bless you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, we decided to open a practice together, mind-body practice for general health and wellness. But given our own experiences, we wanted to help people boost whatever natural fertility they have. And so we had an eye on boosting fertility and with a sort of a, a, a formalized program for it. And as people came through that program, you know, the first year we had a couple of babies come through 
And then every year after that, more and more babies. And our clients wanted to continue seeing us after they got pregnant. And that was really how the focus turned to pregnancy. And uh, turns out there were not very many chiropractors comfortable with uh, prenatal care. You know, they don't teach too much of it in chiropractic school, at least not when I went to school. And um, once we got the name for it, uh, other chiropractors started sending their clients. And then before you knew it, doulas and childbirth educators and midwives and obstetricians. And uh, it was all bellies all the time. That's amazing. So that is what we're going to talk about right for this moment. Let's talk a little bit about chiropractic work. Actually, before we do that, because this actually came up in class the other day, I mentioned chiropractic work to one of our students and she got kind of freaked out. So can you talk a little bit about how chiropractic adjustments work? Sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of different, if you go to 10 different chiropractors, you might have 10 very different experiences. And that's a little confusing for people. Generally speaking, I'd say there's one thing that we all have in common. That is the backbone, if you will, of what chiropractors do. And that is we look for restriction in the body, particularly in the skeletal system where two bones come together to form a joint. And there should be a certain amount of movement around that joint. Sometimes the joint gets restricted and sometimes it gets completely locked up. And when that happens, it's the beginning of deficits for the body. You, you may feel them and you may not feel them. Um, if you feel them, they might feel like a loss of range of motion. You can't move as well as you used to move. If you don't feel them, they are still happening and they tend to build up over time. So maybe swelling will build up around that restricted joint, maybe muscle spasm. And then eventually you feel it as pain or compression of a nerve, something like that. So what most chiropractors have in common is we look through the body for these restricted joints and we restore motion to them. We adjust them or restore motion to them. The most powerful of them tend to be in the spine and in the pelvis because those bones are protecting the nerve roots that come off the spinal cord and the spinal cord itself. So if you have compression, they're supposed to protect, but if they're not, they can compress. They can actually cause the problem. Uh, the nerve roots, those nerves control, the central nervous system controls the function of every cell and organ in the body. So people think about us for pain or, you know, restriction, but uh, if you're actually alleviating pressure from a nerve that's either sending information from the periphery, from your body to your central nervous system, your brain and spinal cord, or back out the other way, and that information is getting impeded or clouded, then by alleviating that pressure, you can restore the doctor within your body's own ability to diagnose and treat problems from the inside. And I can't treat everything, mm -hmm. but um, it's a pretty good system. And uh, it has a lot of intelligence that we don't have on the educated side, things that we learned about the body. So in my perfect world, those two work together. We use our innate intelligence and we boost our innate intelligence. And when we have to, we intervene with our educated intelligence. So if what we're trying to do is restore motion to restricted joints in the body, then during pregnancy is a time when your body is more strained. Whatever capacity you have, uh, it, it's going to be tested as you start to put on weight, as your ligamentous tissue starts to change with the relaxation hormones, uh, as you change your sleep position, all those things start to have an impact on the body. And if things move pretty well, your body's really designed to accommodate all of that fairly well. But if things don't move that well, then you're going to start to find that out as the weeks go by. Let's dive more of that. First of all, thank you for that very thorough uh, explanation. I really enjoyed that. Let's go deeper into pregnancy and the benefits. So you talked about the mobility, and we know that for babies to more smoothly escape the body there, things need to move well. I think I often see a lot of SI pain, sacroiliac pain from kind of clunky pelvises. So let's dive into what are the benefits of chiropractic work on the pregnant body? Sure. So um, for one thing, as I mentioned earlier, different chiropractors will have different experiences. And that's because there's a lot of different ways to find those restricted joints and several different ways to release them, but also because there's a tool belt and different chiropractors kind of load different tools into that belt. For me, okay. it's massage. So most chiropractors don't do massage. 
but in my mind, you have a deeply intertwined musculoskeletal system. And so where massage treats the muscular side of that and collectively the soft tissues, the muscles, the tendons, the fascia, when they are unhappy and become dysfunctionally short, stiff or tight, they also feel achy and they also restrict movement and mobility. They create more of a static environment than a fluid one. So when we look at the musculoskeletal system, there's two things during pregnancy. One is, can I safely do chiropractic on a pregnant person? So it's it's not necessarily for the pregnancy, but just like anybody else would benefit from chiropractic care, are there ways for me to deliver those benefits to somebody who's pregnant safely? And the answer is yes, there are modifications you can do, and you can deliver very safe, very effective chiropractic care and massage care during pregnancy. But the specific things that come up during pregnancy, the ones you mentioned towards the lower part of the part of the body are the most common, the low back pain, sciatica, sacroiliac issues, and they're frequently caused by restriction. So in the low back, sometimes you have a little bit of a forward curve back there. It doesn't bother you. Like everybody has a forward curve back there. We should uh, in the lumbar spine, the lower back. But if it's exaggerated a little bit, your whole life, it won't bother you. But during pregnancy, if you attach that growing watermelon to the front of it, it's going to pinch more and more and more. So there, it's really important. It's going to highlight the fact that maybe you, your curve is a little bit generous, typically. And, um, you know, it's going to create a lot of tension back there. It's going to pinch the soft tissue and squeeze those vertebrae closer together. So what we can do is get in there and release that tightness in the low back. Mm -hmm. Sometimes then it's really helpful to have a support belt as you get bigger when you're going to be upright to lift and alleviate some of the pressure from back there. And we can massage out all those uh, tight muscles. Just a little bit lower in the upper outer glute, you have the sciatic nerve come to the surface a little bit. So in the lumbar spine, the last three vertebrae come together to form that big giant sciatic nerve that shoots all the way down the leg. And classical sciatica is usually compression of those nerve roots. And it indeed tends to go down to the leg, the shin, even into the foot. But in pregnancy, more commonly, if there was no sciatica before pregnancy, now you have it, it's more commonly the outer bundle of that sciatic nerve that's being compressed. And it's right in the upper outer glute, and uh, it's underneath the piriformis muscle. And uh, sometimes that muscle just gets so tight, or the surrounding tissue gets so tight, that it presses right into the exposed part of the sciatic nerve that's running right underneath it. And it's uncomfortable. It can be really sharp and really uncomfortable. And it doesn't usually shoot all the way down to the leg. It just goes into, you know, maybe a couple of inches down, never past the knee. And that's the most common thing that we see in the office. Because it's caused by that tight piriformis muscle, if we can massage out the muscle and loosen up the pressure from the nerve and maybe adjust the joints that those muscles attach to and create a little more give, then uh, the results are generally very, very good. We can uh, help her uh, not have the sciatica of pregnancy, which is what I call it. And that has a lot of ramifications because if you have that kind of pain all the time, it's hard to exercise. And exercise mm -hmm. is very important for um, healthy pregnancy. It's hard to sleep and sleep is important for everything, physical health and mental health. So in just that one way, we can create a lot of relief. Now, if you're a student who got freaked out about it, some people get freaked out about the cracking noises of adjustments. That's what she brought up. She sucked. So that was something I wanted to ask about, like the cracking noises. I kind of find some enjoyment out of it. It feels, <laughs> it feels like, yeah, we got in there. But I know, and you said there is different ways. So I love that you have the massage background because sometimes, you know, maybe if, how do I back this up in my brain? <laughs> so many thoughts. So the, you know, the skeleton doesn't stand alone. The muscles are moving the skeleton. So I love that you're, it's have, you're working with both. So what I was trying to explain that to the students, like the, there's the cracking. Some people don't do the cracking. Some people do more pressure. How would you describe some of the other methods? But I do really love how you have that combination of massage and, chiro and chiropractic. It seems really unique. I don't see a lot of chiropractors having that extra skill. Mm, yeah. Usually if there's massage in the chiropractic office, it's a different practitioner. 
Right. But I like to, there's the, the amount of data I could get, the amount of intel I can get by having my own hands um, and spending that kind of time and getting feedback from your body and from you uh, while while we're working, it makes it extremely diagnostic and therapeutic at the same time. Yeah, very effective. Absolutely and in, in a way that I couldn't get that data in a few minutes of just chiropractic adjustment. I can do a lot, but I can't do as much. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to adjust. So there's instrument adjusting, which tends to be fairly gentle. Um, they sometimes just feel like a little tap, either mm -hmm. a spring-loaded device that just taps or sometimes a power device that kind of auto-taps. Um, you know, you you have force. When you have a restriction, you need to overcome it. You need to overcome it with some kind of force. And force has two components. It's mass times acceleration. So when we do those big cracking adjustments, which are generally <laughs> safe during pregnancy also, they're also safe during pregnancy. This may be more scary and twisting. A lot of people don't like to be twisted uh, during pregnancy. Um, to get the crack, you generally need some twist in the lower back. Uh, you need force. So those big cracking adjustments are a lot of mass and relatively low acceleration. And they get the job done. But the tapping devices are very quick. They have much faster acceleration, maybe 300 times faster than we could do with our hands and our bodies. But they don't have a lot of mass. So they don't create this big buildup. There's not the same kind of cracking release. Uh, sometimes it's very, it just feels very nice, especially if you have a restricted joint back in your lower back or where your hip bones come to your sacrum and your ilium come together. Putting on one of those tapping devices and just moving it with acceleration and driven force is gentle and not scary and pretty effective all right let's take a quick break when we come back let's talk about is there anyone that you would suggest not get chiropractic adjustments all right we'll be right back you've worked hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Okay, we're back. So is there anyone or any reason someone may not be a good candidate to get chiropractic work? Um, there are some some people who are not good at candidates for chiropractic. And uh, for example, sometimes you have uh, an area, let's just say not even in pregnancy, generally speaking, you have an area that's just too hot. There's too much swelling, too much inflammation, too much spasm. If I go in there and I try to crack it, it's probably going to put them into a deeper spasm. You know, so there are certain times we would, I, I would recommend at those times using other modalities first to bring down the spasm or the inflammation. And those two are different. Spasms where muscles get too stiff and tight and inflammation is an over buildup of fluid that doesn't belong there. And yeah. uh, some people hit the jackpot and get both spasm and inflammation in the same area at the same time. That's tricky because the things that therapeutically are helpful for spasm uh, tend to make inflammation worse. So like heat is great for muscles that are in spasm, helps them relax, but also opens up the blood vessels and brings even more fluid where you already have too much. Maybe ice would be good for the inflammation by closing off those blood vessels and shunting some of that fluid out of there. But the cold tends to make the muscles even more spasmy. So those are yeah. tricky. But I would find the right uh, combination of modalities first so it's not so inflamed acute and hot before i would try to go in there and do adjustments with it uh sometimes you have people who have like uh, indications of um, blood vessel weaknesses that may be not a good uh, candidate for certain types of adjustments but then you can modify and use the other types of adjustments um sometimes people are in bed rest you know uh during a pregnancy and um 
depending on why they're on bed rest or the extent of the bed rest that they're placed, it may or may not be a good idea to to do adjustments. You know, if, if it's early in the pregnancy and things are looking pretty weak at the cervix or they're worried about preterm labor, I don't know that adjustments would be the best thing to do, but there are other modalities that we can use to try to offer some relief. Just a few examples. That's great. So let's switch over to breach and the Webster technique, because I refer that out also quite a bit. And I know I have like a handful of modalities that when someone talks about a breach that I go to, and, and this is absolutely one of them. So can you explain a little bit about what the Webster technique is and what are reasons a baby might be breached and how the Webster can help with that? Sure. Yeah. And Webster's a chiropractic approach, but kind of brought together by Dr. Larry Webster in the 1970s. Um, the idea, and and so as a chiropractor who also does massage, I kind of use the Webster technique on the chiropractic side and my own sort of, uh, if I had to give it a name, I would call it the Berlin uterine release technique, but then People would probably just call it Bert. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, the idea, the premise is that babies want to be head down at the end of pregnancy. And if you look at the statistics from a first pregnancy, uh, typically at 28 weeks, statistically, approximately 50% of babies are not head down yet. And then just four weeks later, at 32 <laughs> weeks, that number goes down to uh, just 10% that are not head down yet. So we go from 50% breach to... 10% breach. And then at birth on that first pregnancy, it's around three to 4% that are still not head down yet. So what happens between 28 and 32 weeks, they start to run out of space. They can't keep moving into every position under the sun. They have to pick a position and generally head down is the most comfortable fit for babies at the end of pregnancy. And that's where they go. That's why the big migration. So if a baby doesn't go head down, let's say after 32, 34, 36, there's usually a reason for it. Uh, sometimes we don't know what the reason is. There's probably always a reason for it. We don't always know. But we can sort of divide the reasons into different categories. And let's say one category would be structural things versus functional things. So let's say the placenta is up very high and the umbilical cord is short. So as the uterus keeps getting further and further away, higher and higher up, so does the placenta. And so the baby may turn and be close to the placenta in order to keep getting snacks. That's what I would do if I was in there. Um, and those are going to be very hard babies to turn. You can't always tell. You can't see that much about the cord uh, until they're born. Another option is, let's say they have a really long cord and they move around a lot during the first couple of trimesters and they get wrapped up in that cord a little tangled, um, generally not dangerous, but could be hard to move around. They could be stuck in the cord. Also, I would say a structural thing. Um, other structural things could be the placement of the placenta. Sometimes it's it can attach to the front, the back. It can attach in a lot of different places, all of which are safe, not, not complications. But uh, if it attaches to the front wall, it seems to get in the way more than when it attaches elsewhere. So... Um, Sometimes you'll have a frank breech baby, let's say with the head up under the right side of the rib cage, the butt down by the pelvis, and the legs coming straight up like a pike dive on the left side of the rib cage, and that frontal placenta right between the head and the legs. And seemingly, if the baby tries to move to one side, the head will bump into the placenta. If the baby tries to move the other way, the legs will move in. Could make for a structurally hard turn. Uh, also, you have the amniotic fluid. Uh, let's say on the amniotic fluid index at the end of pregnancy, they'll break the uh, uterus into four imaginary quadrants, making one line going up and down and one line going horizontally. And uh, in each imaginary quadrant, looking at the biggest pocket of fluid, then adding the four together to get the amniotic fluid index. So it's not exactly how much fluid you have. It's an indication of how much fluid you have. And uh, the scale is roughly eight to 24 is considered normal. So if you're eight or more or 24 or less, it's all healthy, but it's a big range. And in terms of mobility, in terms of fluid space, when you're on the lower side, eight, nine, 10, it's harder for babies to move around. It's sort of like you waited too long to get out of the tub and there's not enough water to help you up. Um, and on the higher side, maybe 18, 19, 20, and even all the way up to 24, which is still normal. There's so much fluid that it could be your baby doesn't run out of space the same way it doesn't have the incentive to pick a position move head down and stay there so those sometimes are the flip-floppers late in the game back and forth uh and then one more structural thing is the uh 
the uterine shape. Sometimes the variation in uterine shape changes the geometry so that head down is not the most comfortable fit when the baby runs out of space, or it could be hard to get there. The classic one is if at the top, instead of being rounded, there's a little indentation, a septum that comes down. Yeah, it looks like a little heart. Creates a heart-shaped uterus, very pretty to look at. But uh, same as with the placenta right there, the head could get stuck on one side and the feet on the other and hard to move around that. Uh, and there are other variations of the uterus as well. So those are kind of some of the ideas on the structural side, maybe why babies are breached. And then we look at the functional side, right? At the end of pregnancy, your low back, hips, and pelvis are supposed to be very loose, very relaxed, very open. Your body's trying to facilitate that with hormones, relaxation hormones of pregnancy. But sometimes you have a low back, hips, and pelvis that are very stiff, tight, and rigid. They're not fluid. They're not open. And uh, that's where this, these types of bodywork modalities come in. With chiropractic, we're not trying to turn a breech baby specifically. We're not manually doing anything to the baby. We're working on the baby's studio apartment and trying to restore motion to restriction in soft tissues in the low back, in the glutes, in the piriformis, in the hip flexors, in the round ligaments, everything around the baby that can cause tension and prevent mobility. Uh, and, uh, and then with chiropractic, the bones, so where that sacrum, the foundation of the spine meets the ilia bones, where those two come together, Dr. Webster found that, um, checking for restriction there and releasing restriction with chiropractic adjustments, uh, was very helpful and improving pelvic function in a way that could facilitate the baby's natural ability and desire to turn on their own. Um, and so that's what we do. Uh, when it's straight chiropractic, the uh, the Webster technique, uh, it's usually analysis of the sacrum and adjustment where there's restriction, and then analysis of the round ligaments that at the end of pregnancy can become quite taut, and uh, either stretching or massaging out that tension and restoring normal tone there. That is right. I remember I had, I worked with a chiropractor around, it was like two days before I had my it was the day before when I had my second and I remember going in and she had, she's moving my arms and legs in all different ways. She had my arms go overhead and just by having my hands together, she's like, your right. So as is tighter. And I'm like, it totally is. I can't believe you can see that. <laughs> <laughs> Reaching my arms overhead. Um, and she did a whole bunch of work. And as we talked about when I was on your podcast, it was such a smooth, I mean, there's a lot of factors, but I really do credit some of the work that she did. And it wasn't just that one time I'd seen her several times before that, but I really believe that when we help things balance and take what you're talking about, like the, we want to make things more fluid. We take that obstruction away. And so that could be why baby goes head down. That could be when baby's just having a smoother exit. So I really enjoy um, chiropractic work. I totally recommend it. So let's talk about chiropractic work for VBACs. Because when I have VBAC students, they are deeply invested in trying to have a different experience than their first. So is there anything different about the approach to, oh, in case anyone was like, what's a VBAC? Vaginal birth after cesarean. Is there any different approach for someone working to that, to having a VBAC? Yeah. So I think not all VBACs are created equal. Um, the question is what happened in the previous birth or births. Um, you know, if you have a breech baby and never have a chance to go into labor, or you have placenta previa and never have a chance to go into labor, and you have a cesarean birth, you know, your second birth is really just your first birth, your first vaginal birth. And there's no indication that anything would be different than anybody having their first baby, other than the fact that you had the surgery on the uterus. And so the scar on the uterus that's created when it heals is not the same type of functional tissue. And will it hold up during the heat of labor is the question. That's sort of just a decision to make, exploring the pros and cons of both choices, the repeat cesarean or the trial of labor after cesarean, hopefully leading into a vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, in those cases, it's just labor prep like we would do for anybody else, really. Uh, if you have other things like uh, I hate the terms, but let's say failure to progress you, in labor. And for some reason, your cervix isn't dilating or you dilate and you push and the baby won't come down, things like that. So there's room for analysis, you know, does, are, are there known things that cause that to happen or are there not any known things? You know, do you 
go ahead and see through imaging that maybe there's uh, a variation in the shape of the bones of your pelvis, or maybe you've had a previous injury and that seems to be affecting it, or maybe the cervix. Maybe sometimes people, uh, let's say, have a procedure on the cervix that makes it not able to dilate the same way. And then we kind of look at those specifics. Um, and pelvic floor is another big one too. I know that you do a lot of pelvic floor work, but sometimes you realize, wow, I have a hypertonic pelvic floor. No matter what I do to try to relax my muscle, I can't get that to relax. Well, you can work on that, um, not chiropractically, but you can work on that um, before the the next birth. Uh, what we do is we just get a little more intense with the protocol of labor preparation. So we try to have think holistically about all the things that can be a, a resistance to the baby coming down. Some of them are mind, um, anxiousness, fear, worry, um, sometimes previous emotional trauma, things that you hold on to into your body. And we try to make sure those are addressed one way or another, um, sometimes by just thinking through and talking through them, sometimes with uh, help from therapists or a hypnotherapist. Um, sometimes trauma processing, sometimes the, the first birth, the cesarean birth might be traumatic. And then, so there's trauma just from that experience to process also. And because you can't separate mind and body, we, we very holistically look at all the different pieces of the puzzle and try to make sure they're addressed. Uh, from us on a musculoskeletal level. So I have somebody right now, she's a massive worker outer. I mean, she just four or five times a week in the gym, an hour time since high school, you know, in her first birth, the baby wasn't quite lined up with the runway. And what I find is when you're very, very strong, if you're not very, very loose, then those babies can have a hard time maneuvering later in labor. And that seems to be what happened with her. I literally just had her today for the first time we met. And, um, you know, I, I put her on the massage table and I started doing body work with her and she is like concrete. It's like this mix of very, very strong muscles, which is inherently healthy and good. And also very, very tight muscles, which is inherently dysfunctional, too short. But that combination of very strong, very tight, it's like concrete. It's very, very rigid. And so we started the process with about eight weeks to go and she would like to do a VBAP. We started the process of starting to just break through that concrete, open it up. And as a doula, I find when I go to birth with somebody who's so strong and tight like that, it it's going to be a, a long birth unless the baby's just super lined up with the runway, they could shoot right out. No problem. But if they need to maneuver, it could be a really long birth. And, um, you know, I, I feel the trepidation going in sometimes, uh, and then and it's not even my body. <laughs> uh, and then if we can get rid of that tightness and just have a lot of strength with, with no tightness or little tightness, those are my favorite births to go to. Cause that person has a lot of strength, a lot of endurance, a lot of uh, appreciation for intensity for a good cause. Usually by that point, flexibility. And um, the birth tends to go very, very well. The strength becomes a very big asset for them, and it's not inhibited or impeded by the tightness. I started to notice when I was a doula that same pattern. And I remember in the beginning of when I was a doula, I had several marathon runners. And in my mind, I'm like, that's great. They have a lot of endurance. They're used to a long kind of arduous experience. Although they, they always said they like their marathon running. I hate running more than a block, but that's just me. <laughs> so. But I thought, you know, they had the mental headspace to go through that. But I often found that those were the births that tended to be, again, this is not... This is more just to what I had seen, not a general statement, but what I had seen is they tended to have the longer labors. And then as I started to understand body physiology more, it's right where you're saying sometimes that tight, tight and strong is just not budging. And that's when after, you know, 28, 30, 32 hours, they were exhausted that I had one, I had one woman, she could like barely get moving for a contraction. And that's when we often said, I know you had this one vision of birth, but we're, we might want to consider other options like an epidural to relax things. And I found that helped those muscles soften. So I like that you're doing a lot of the work beforehand because people, there's absolutely, you know, again, we don't want to demonize medicine. It's great use for it. But if someone would rather forego those interventions, 
seeing what we can do prenatally can help. And for those very short, strong muscles, it needs to give because that baby's not going to come down quite as well. So I appreciate that story you were telling. So what else with the VBAC? Anything else you want to add with that? Yeah. What else with the VBAC? I mean, those, those are mostly the things I think supporting yourself. One of the most important things is supporting yourself with a practitioner who is on board uh, with VBAC, not ideally, not just tolerant, but really supportive. Um, being in a facility that uh, is supportive uh, and really just getting your mind and body into a relaxed open space mm. where once you make the decision to do a VBAC, it just becomes a birth for you. We're all aware that the, in the background is that risk that the scar won't hold up. But, um, you know, that can't be, you, you, you don't drive as if you're going to be hit by an 18-wheeler even though you might be hit by an 18-wheeler. You have your seatbelt, you have your airbag, but you relax and you drive from a relaxed place. It's a lot safer and more productive than driving, gripping the wheel and, and being in, in a lot of fear. So once you make that choice, you say, okay, this risk is is worth taking for the benefit that I might have here. Then I think once you've relaxed the mind and body, then um, you, know, you just give it your best shot. Well, something you said about making sure, you know, the care provider or, you know, the team is on board made me start to think about informed choice and informed decisions. And I know that's something that you feel strongly about. Do you want to dive into a little bit more about some of your thoughts about informed choice? Sure. Thanks. Uh, look, I, I think that in today's day and age, all of the healthcare practitioners are pulled in a lot of different directions. Our number one goal, we wouldn't get into healthcare if we don't want to help people. That's generally the number one goal. But as humans and, you know, in a complex system, you're pulled in a lot of different directions. As a healthcare practitioner, you know, what, what kind of risks are there for you medically, our patient? What kind of risks are there for us as a provider, which is different? Your risk is medical risk. Our risk is liability. And they're not always proportional. So just because they don't always have a direct relationship, just because my liability goes up doesn't mean your medical risk goes up. So let's say... There's something that is, um, I don't know, let's say you, you've you had a, a C-section, now you want to have a vaginal birth after a cesarean. That might carry a little bit of a medical risk that doesn't exist with the repeat cesarean, although repeat cesarean carries risk that doesn't exist with the vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, but one of them may have more or less liability for me for various reasons. So I'm naturally going to sort of hope that you pick the one that has less liability for me. And let's say that's a repeat cesarean. Um, the way I even present things will, even from giving you the, the full facts, will potentially skew you because the way we absorb risk and process risk is, is different and interesting from person to person. So if the risk of that scar opening up, that uterine rupture, is uh, about one half of 1%, and I present it that way, that sounds like a pretty small number to most people. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, but then if I say, yeah, that's one in 200 people, that same statistic sounds a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. And that's if your pro providers are giving you all the information. They can just present it differently, not even maliciously, just like I sort of think in their mind it's a bigger risk, even if it's just a bigger risk to them. And so they might say, oh, yeah, one in 200 people have this, this thing happen. It's complication. So in today's day and age, and that's just one, like what will insurance cover? What will insurance not cover? What will take more of my time or less of my time or be at a more convenient time or less convenient time? There are so many things to think about. And um, unless you're in the know, it's very hard to be an active participant in that decision making. And so today, more than ever in healthcare in general, but especially in pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, and pediatrics, there are so many choices to make. It's really important to have data to be able to make choices. Just as you mentioned, like picking a provider who's supportive. You know, the, the reason we have such a high cesarean rate in part is because of the primary C-section and then, uh, you know, inaccessibility to a vaginal birth the second time around. So if we can avoid that primary C-section for people who don't want it and don't need it, then we can dramatically lower the cesarean rate as a whole because now they're not going to have to need a repeat C-section either. Um, but most people don't even start to 
kind of explore and get information until they have a bad experience the first time or they're startled by their lack of ability to make choices until it's too late. And so after years of sort of watching this happening, two issues that were really important to me were vaginal birth after cesarean and vaginal breach delivery, the option to deliver breach. And I don't care what choice people make. I just want you to be able to make an informed choice. And then I support your choice 100%, even if it's not the choice I would make. It's, it's not me, it's you. Uh, and I made documentaries about those, trial of labor about VBAC and heads up about breach birth. And then eventually, you know, they were having a great impact and then they just kind of disappeared into cyberspace. So I was looking for how we can keep the impact going. I, I started getting these messages from people, terrible, terrible messages saying, ah, I saw your movie trial of labor. It, it's so great. I wish I had seen it before I had my first baby. And I was like, oh, no, I made it so you could see it before you had your first baby. I have a question. In, I know you're in L.A. Do you have a lot of care providers that deliver vaginal breach? Because here in New York, our last one that used to retired. No, don't say it. No. She retired. She was the best. She retired. And to my knowledge right now, we don't have anyone in New York City in the hospitals here that will a deliver a giant vaginal city of 8 million people. There's nobody there. Is that um, common in LA? Oh, in LA, we have two or three, and they're aging. There's one younger guy, but he's sort of off the beaten path. I only know a handful, and midwives are no longer allowed to in California. I knew so, some midwives did, but I don't know the status of that now. I can't imagine. I mean, maybe, maybe. So, listener, yeah, if you oh, know, oh, let oh, me know. <laughs> you know, oh, I don't know in New York. I don't, I don't, I, I'm <laughs> not say listeners out there, <laughs> listeners yeah. that are listening to this, if you know, I'd be very yeah. curious. Yeah, it's a dying art. And that's why we made the film. And, uh, you know, not all breaches are created equal, and there is some risk there you know things that can happen that don't happen with head down babies but again it's like it's your choice you should be made aware of what the risks are and what the benefits are and for you to choose and for us to support your choice that's that's my firm belief so when the movies were having a hard time i kind of reached out to other filmmakers like the makers of uh the business of being born orgasmic birth and other iconic birth films and i i was like how do you guys keep it alive and like oh we don't know either so I decided there needs to be a, a home, a space where all of this content can live in a place where anyone can find it, anyone can access it in the areas where this type of content, digital video content is most commonly consumed. And um, I set out to create that space and now we have it. It's called Informed Pregnancy Plus. It's a, a video streaming service with all pregnancy, birth, and postpartum related material. There's a whole bunch of documentaries. There's a whole bunch of um, web series, there's workshops, there's mind-body stuff, and it's just a library that keeps growing. Anybody can try it absolutely free by visiting informedpregnancy.tv or going to any of the apps for Informed Pregnancy Plus, Android, Roku, Apple. Amazing. We're going to take another break. When we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice that you would like to offer new or expectant parents? We'll be right back. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. We're back. So you have many hats that you can put on to answer this question. Parent hat, doula hat, chiropractic, massage, maybe a combo of all. <laughs> How would you like uh -huh. to answer that question? Uh, with a level head, uh, I think that it's really important to trust the hard wiring. Um, my best way to answer that question is to go on YouTube and search for this video called Risky Business, R-I-S-K-I. It's about an elephant giving birth on an elephant mm. reserve in Bali. 
and uh, she goes into labor. They see her in labor, so they just run out with the cameras, and then they film it. And it's such a beautiful birth for this elephant who knows exactly what she's doing in labor. As she delivers the baby, she turns around and starts doing the neonatal care. This baby in particular is not breathing, and she's concerned now. And she starts doing things like gently kicking the baby to try to get the baby to breathe, and that doesn't work. And she wraps her trunk around the baby's little trunk, lifts the head and yanks on it, and then all of a sudden the baby starts breathing, and then mom is flapping her ears happily. And all. what? How does she know? She didn't listen to a podcast. She didn't read a book. She didn't take a class. She doesn't do prenatal yoga. Uh, and, and and all the neonatal care with no partner, no midwife, no doula, no doctor, no anybody. We have that hardwiring too. Humans have that hardwiring too. And it's important to not veto everything that's going on there or cloud it or, or, you know, not have access to it. So to the extent, if you're going to be a parent or if you've recently become a parent, that you can kind of close your eyes and clear out some of the debris that's blocking you from that inner voice and get in touch with that inner voice. I think that's something that's really going to be helpful in every stage from fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and parenting. I love that. I actually just had a talk like that with my nine-year-old about instincts and trusting herself because she's grown up with the internet. She's nine. And in her mind, if we don't know an answer or even just a simple question, she's like, let's look it up. Let's look it up. What should we do? Let's look it up. And I actually had her pause and I'm like, can we, can I just have you take a moment and think, what should we do before we look up the right answer? And she was hesitant. She's like, no, 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 let's, let's just Google it. Let's look it up. And I made her take a beat and take a couple breaths. And then she's like, oh, I have an idea. And I think that's so lacking that trusting our instincts that a lot of the answers we do know, we're just so used to relying on someone else telling us. So I really appreciate your final tip and a piece of advice. So Thanks, where girl. can people find your work? Uh, pretty much everything's at informedpregnancy.com. The streaming service again is informedpregnancy.tv, but, uh, our informed pregnancy podcast is on every podcast app and our informed pregnancy blog that's really exploding now is also at informedpregnancy.com on social media. We're at Dr. Berlin, D-O-C-T-O-R-B-E-R-L-A-N. Well, I will make sure we have all of that in our show notes. This has been so fun connecting with you again. Thank you so much. I could talk to you every day. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the incredible work that you've been doing that you continue to do. Thanks. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.